And so I think we might see a lot of people actually withdrawing. When we're lonely, we feel the need to connect with people, but we also feel the need to withdraw because people start to feel really threatening. And so I think for some people, they may actually notice themselves withdrawing from their friendships and maybe not putting in the same time to keep up with and interact with their friendships or try to maintain their friendships. And so I think that can also be hard, um, that it's just a rough period for people to maintain their friendships and to maintain their relationships because of like the ways that this pandemic is affecting us. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions, and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. On today's episode, we'll be covering one of the most requested topics with the expert in the field. We are honored to be interviewing Dr. Marissa Franco. She is a psychologist and a friendship expert. First of all, Dr. Marissa, we would love it if you introduced yourself and told us how you got into researching and writing about friendship. Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm really excited to be here talking to you all today. Um, So I was a professor, and then when I was a professor, I got a grant from the National Institute of Health to study social support in China and Vietnam. And I was reading about all this research on friendship, and I was like, oh my gosh, people need to know about this. I need to share it with more people. And so that's when I started, started to share it more and more. I started writing for Psychology Today. I got a book deal to write about friendship. And so that's like the researchy academic answer that I like to give people. But to be honest, I think I really got fascinated by friendship. In my early 20s, I went through a really bad breakup. I felt so bad afterwards. I ended up starting a wellness group with my friends. And so we met up every week and we practiced self-care. We did yoga. We cooked together. We went on all walks. We meditated And after that, I was like, oh my gosh, like I have so much love in my life. Why was I judging my life by only like one axis or dimension of love, romantic love, even while I had like all of this love in my life from my friends? And I was just like thinking about it. And I was like, wow, I think like this reflects a larger culture by how we devalue this form of love that is so bountiful and gives us so much. And so I thought that was like a really big problem. And I didn't think there was enough people talking about it. So I guess at some point it was like, well... I guess, why not me? Why don't I start talking about it? Okay, knock my socks off with the first answer. (laughs) That's such an important point and an important way to look at your life. I think so many of us judge it on our romantic partnership when there's so much more to it. Yeah, I definitely think so. And, you know, as I've delved deeper into friendship, it's like the research basically tells us that friendship is what makes our romantic partnerships strong and healthy and loving, right? Like the degree to which you feel like you're friends with your romantic partner is what predicts all types of positive outcomes. And not only that, but I realized that our romantic relationships, in fact, according to the research, are healthier when we keep friendships. People are more likely to make it through really difficult times in their romantic relationships, for example. I mean, this pandemic, I'm sure, is one example. If they also have other communities to turn to if they have friends to turn to to support for support as well so I really think we need to start seeing healthy romance 
friendship as part of healthy romance, both friendship within the romance and also friendship as a larger context to support a, a two people that are in a romantic relationship. You are speaking to our audience right now. That is exactly what they are needing right now because we're finding that our demographic, mostly women in their 30s, give or take, they ask us about friendships all the time, but it's not something that I see people talking about. It just, it seems like an area that people do struggle with because we're getting the DMs about it, but we don't talk about it day to day. And I thought this quote from your blog post on five ways to maintain friendships when you're busy really surmised one of the biggest issues that people in our age group struggle with, which is lack of time. So you said, friendships are beautiful because they're voluntary. They lack blood ties or formal rituals to cement them. We choose them freely because they enhance our lives, but because they are voluntary, they also get neglected when our time is squeezed. So can you speak to this as well as give us some tips just for how to keep friendships alive even during these really busy seasons? Yeah, so definitely I think it's really hard to keep our friendships alive when we're really busy. I think, honestly, if I were to say two of the biggest barriers to friendship that I have seen, it would be fear of rejection and being really busy. And from the research, we see that when we get into a romantic relationship, I think on average we lose like three friends. I know we lose a certain amount of friends when we get into a romantic relationship, we tend to. And then when we have kids, we lose even more friends. And so our circles shrink more and more and more. And so it just gets really hard to like remember to check in. And and honestly, most of our friendships end not because we have an explosive fight or disagreement, but just because we fall out of touch because we get so busy. And so some of the tips that I share um, in that article on how to keep your friendship a lot, friendships alive when you're busy are like being a little bit more creative about it. Like, for example, there's things that we all might have to do in our day to day. Like, I don't know, before this is pre pandemic, obviously, but um, maybe things like going grocery shopping or before when we used to commute. And so finding ways to incorporate our friends into those experiences, like, oh, hey, do you want to go grocery shopping with me? Or, hey, can I give you a call during my commute? And so you're finding ways to like, not have to find more time, but to use the time that you do have more strategically so that you can integrate your friends. I think another really great way to approach friendship when you're busy, and again, I think this is harder, though not impossible with the pandemic, is um, hanging out. Something that I've been doing with my neighbors is we've been doing like outdoor gatherings. And when you hang out as a group, you're a lot more likely to keep in touch with each other because there's only one person that basically needs to initiate an interaction and then everybody is keeping in touch. So if you're comfortable introducing your friends to each other to form a sort of friend group, then it's more likely that your friendships will endure. So I think that's something that we can consider too. And then I think the last piece is like, seeing that when we're busy, our friendships will fall to the wayside. How do we reassure our friends that that's not because we don't love them? You know, like being more honest, directive upfront with saying like, hey, I really like would love to see you. This is what's been going on in my life, but I just, you know, wanted to check in and make sure you know how much I love and care about you and how much I've been thinking of you. Um, just making sure we are not leaving it up to ambiguous interpretation that our busyness might mean that we don't want to be friends with someone because that's probably not the case. And I think to add, I think a little bit goes a long way. Sometimes I'll just send a note to a friend, tell them I'm thinking about them, kind of be specific about why. 
And it means so much to people, I think, especially right now. So here's just a small push for our listeners to send some text messages that might need to be sent today. But I wanted to say right along the lines of what we were just talking about, one of our listeners asked, she said, I'm horrible at keeping up with friendships. Do people chat slash text daily with their good friends? It seems like (laughs) we have a tendency to oversimplify things, but in your research, is there a minimum amount of connection a friendship needs to stay afloat? I would say no. I think it depends on things like, for example, research finds that if we've been friends with someone for a long time, the friendship is more likely to continue. But if you're looking to form a newer friendship, I would recommend that you put in more of that time and effort um, because we don't have that built trust and that built affection for each other to interpret the ambiguity of not speaking for a while. And so I think it really depends on that. I would also say, you know, just like you shared, that it depends on how we're reaching out to one another, right? So if I don't talk to someone for a while and I'm just like, I don't know, sending them a meme versus if I'm checking in and saying like, hey, I've been thinking about you, I've missed you, you know, like I was recalling this time that we spent together and like just thinking so warmly about it. Affirmation is one of the factors, I think, that really deepens our friendships and also can help us maintain them. So if you're someone who's really busy and really doesn't have the time, Are you at least taking, I don't know, once a month or even every other month to just like send a quick, thoughtful text to your friends to remind them that like you love them and that you care about them? And and sometimes that's really all that it takes. I feel this so much with my friendships, especially the ones from grade school, where it could be just once a month or every other month, just a quick little check in or a phone call on the way to pick up the kids from daycare. Like those do go a long way because of that trust that's built. We were also asked about those one-sided friendships. So our listeners want to know, what do you do if it feels like you're the one who is always reaching out? Um, Another person said, I never feel like I'm anyone's go-to friend. So can you give us some insight there? Yeah, if you feel like you're the one who's always reaching out, I would say bring it up. I think it can be scary to bring up issues in friendship because we don't have the same script for it that we have in our romantic relationships where like we need to address conflict openly. And so I think when it comes to friendship, a lot of the times people sweep things under the rug, but I don't think that you have to. I think that you should, you could share something, for example, like this friendship is so important to me. You are so important to me. Um, I, I feel like I've been noticing that I'm the only one reaching out and sometimes it makes it hard for me to keep reaching out um, because I start to feel a little resentful and I get worried that, you know, we wouldn't, we won't stay friends for a long time and I would never want that to happen. And so I was just wondering if you might be open to reaching out a little bit more. Um, Yeah. Something as like, just like loving, compassionate and open as that as an invitation to people to reach out more. That being said, sometimes I have people saying like, I told my friends about this and they still haven't reached out more. And I think if that's the case, you are welcomed to decide how much reciprocity you can tolerate and not tolerate, right? Like, I think it is an ingredient of healthy friendship to have some degree of reciprocity. But that being said, I think that you can also make the decision for yourself, right? If you're like, this friendship is benefiting me in X, Y, Z ways, but I don't have that reciprocity piece. And even though I've brought this up, there's no change that's been made. 
um, you can decide like, hey, does that fit with my needs right now in a friend or does it not fit with my needs right now? And make the decision about whether you feel like you would love to continue the relationship. I'm learning so much already. It just feels good to have all of this information in one place. Um, Another struggle that we mentioned before is when people start to go through different life phases, or maybe they just don't choose the same life paths, which is very valid. When we were in college or when we were younger adults, most of us were studying or socializing, or we had groups of people that were interested in the same things. They were in the same place and they had time. So friendships felt much easier to start and maintain. One listener asked, how can I maintain a friendship with childless friends that are in a different phase of life? This is a really good question. I think that you can also be open with your friends about this. Um, You could say something like, you know, I, I just had a kid. I realized that that may affect our friendship and how often we're able to interact. Like, What do we want our friendship to look like now and what makes sense or what is reasonable with all the things that each of us might have going on in our lives? I think if you are someone who has, you know, similar to, I think, when when your friends get into a romantic relationship or get married or um, have kids, I think a lot of the times friends assume like, oh, my gosh, they're just too busy. They won't be able to hang out with me. Um, They just have too much going on in their lives. And so if you could maybe share like what would feel comfortable to you with if you have all these things going on and you have a kid to take care of within your friendship, like maybe you want to share like, hey, you know, we're going to be taking outings to the zoo. Is that something that you would feel comfortable coming along with? I think like for parents of really small kids, and again, I'm not included in this category, so take my advice with a grain of salt, but just the similar idea of when we're busy, how can we fold people into our lives in um, in terms of the day-to-day things that we do? And so there may be times where you are free, you're spending time with your kid and you would love to welcome your friend to come to the park and see if they would be down with that. That being said, I don't think all friends are necessarily going to be open to that experience. And so asking yourself, are there also ways that you can meet them in their terms? If they prefer that you hang out without kids around, do you have the space? Is this a priority for you? Is this someone that you want to maintain a relationship with so that you can try to make space to hang out, I guess, just like you did before you might've had children? Yeah, I I have found it to be a balance. I have a lot of friends that don't have kids yet. Um, and I think I do think it takes some self-awareness because I want to make sure that I am not just centering myself and my experience and my children's stories. Like I could understand why, like in those relationships, you know, other subjects are important, other activities, events, you know, when we could do those things are important. Um, so I think if there's any way that people can balance that it it can be really fruitful for the friendship. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's really important to, um, I think one of the real powers of friendship is that friendships remind you of the expansiveness of your identity. Like, you know, you are around a friend and you experience something in them that you see in yourself. And then you realize like, oh, like this is who I am in a more deep and profound way. And so Because of that, you know, I think if you are a recent parent, and I'm sure your mother identity gets um, pinged a lot of the time, it's also an opportunity and an offering to be around friends who kind of remind you of 
all of the other things that you are. Well, and it gives us an excuse to take off that title. We love the title as mom. We own that title, but there's so much more to us as well. We do want to take a real quick break to bring up our podcast sponsor, which is Gooder. Gooder is a new sponsor of ours, but Amy and I have both been longtime wearers and lovers of this brand. Amy wears her Amelia Earhart ghosted me all the time. She's so cute in them. And I love and have gotten so many compliments on my Bosley's Basset Hound Dreams. I sometimes forget that in the winter, it's just as important to wear sunglasses. So if you have not jumped on the bandwagon yet, our listeners do get a discount, 15% off with using code HERSELF at checkout. Again, that's gooder, G-O-O-D-R.com, and use code HERSELF for 15% off. Okay, and back to the episode. This one came in so many times. Where do we make friends? I know it's a little bit different right now because of the pandemic, but in pandemic times, not in pandemic times, how can women make friendships that can last? So I have a few tips. First tip. So you want to capitalize on something called the mere exposure effect. The mere exposure effect is basically jargon. That means that The more we see each other, the more we become familiar with each other, the more we like each other. This happens completely unconsciously. And so I typically suggest to people, like, instead of signing up for, like, one meetup, a single happy hour, a single lecture and trying to meet people, a single dance class, a single yoga class, is there something that you can sign up for that's more repetitive over time, like a language course or an improv course or... I don't know, your PTA meetings, anything that is like more over time so that you have that time to develop a relationship because chances are because of the mere exposure effect that they will like you more over time and that you will like them more over time. And I think we often assume that like friendship is about snap judgments, but like the mere exposure effects basically shows us that it's not. The other thing that I would suggest is that our, we build relationships with people that we feel more similar to. And so just pursuing like things that you're interested in, in a community of others, I think is a really good idea. Like if you love hiking, could you join a hiking group, for example? Or if you love painting, could you join a painting group? And then you'll have a group of people that are already sort of similar to you and you already have something to connect on. The last piece of advice that I really like is, and I think this is one that you can do in this pandemic too, is asking people like, that you already know, like, hey, I'm trying to expand my network. I'm trying to meet some new people. Is there anyone that you might know that you might be willing to put me in touch with? And so then you have people that are sort of already kind of quasi pre-vetted by your network. And then my last tip for just for pandemic time specifically, I think it's a really hard time to meet new people, but we can tune into the power of not just connection, but reconnection at this time. Uh, Research finds that when we reconnect with people, our, our relationships are sort of supercharged because we already have some degree of trust. So the relationship moves a lot more quickly. So are there people in your life who you've just fallen out of touch with, maybe because you've been busy, that you would like to reconnect to? Sometimes I go through my phone and I look at who was I texting a year ago to see if there's anyone that I really need to reconnect with. And so I think that's a really good idea for people that are lonely during this pandemic? Are there people that you've lost touch with that you want to reconnect with and uh, reach out to them? Well, and the people who you're reconnecting with, they might also be in that same position where they're lonely and they're looking for that reach out as well. So it's kind of dual serving for both people in that relationship. So I know we have some military families that listen. And one of the things that we hear from them is that they're always on the move. So they'll move every six months, maybe every year. And it's really, really hard to make friendships. 
So in one of your articles, you said, making friends in a new city is hard, but it isn't impossible. And then went on to talk about locationships, friendships that are sustained simply because you're in the same place at the exact same time. So can you talk more about this type of friendship and also some of its benefits? Yeah, so I see locationships as maybe people that like wouldn't necessarily be your best friend, but it's easy to be friends. You're in the same place at the same time and you like them enough. And so I think sometimes for people that move a lot, because it can take so long to really find those people that feel like your friendship soulmates, being open to and a little bit more flexible about the type of people that you're willing to hang out with. Obviously not building relationships with people that are cruel or harmful towards you. Um, But yeah, just being more open socially, I think can be a really good idea if you're someone that moves around a lot piece of advice I would share with military families. I think this is just something that I like to remind people in general. Don't assume that friendships happen organically. You need to take initiative to make friends. And this is, I'm sharing this based on some research that finds that people that think that friendship is something that happens without effort are more likely to be lonely years later because they don't take that initiative to meet other people. And people that take that initiative are less lonely. uh, They build more relationships with people. And so I think sometimes we think, oh, it won't matter if I like introduce myself to someone that won't make a difference because I don't know, friendship is all about fate or the cosmos or something, but it's really not. Like you really have more control over your social world than you think you do. You know, initiative might look like, for example, when I moved into my new apartment, I saw my neighbors in the hallway and my partner was like, go introduce yourself to them. Like, these are the tips that you share to people. (laughs) Get out there. (laughs) And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. But I just went up to them and I was just like, hey, my name is Marissa. I just moved into the apartment next door. And then we got into a conversation. You know, I asked them what it's like living here. I asked them to exchange contact information, which is very central. Asked for that contact information exchange. And um, we, that's how we started our weekly gathering. We started this group and then we did our, our weekly outdoor gatherings for a while. And so it made such a difference, just that, that tiny choice to initiate with someone else. Okay. I do that with my neighbors just because I feel like you, you need people right around you that could like help you in a pinch. I mean, honestly, I'm still the woman that's like asking for a cup of sugar instead of running to the store. But sometimes people will give me the pushback. They'll be like, yeah, but you're outgoing. Like that is really hard for me. Um, How would you respond to that? Like do the different personality types, like is that an okay kind of excuse for an introvert to have or would you push them to try to get out there? So here's what I would share. I would say it's less about being outgoing and more about how you assume others respond to you. And the people that are really good at making new friends, they assume that others like them. And that is like one of my biggest pieces of advice. Like if you want to make friends, assume that others like you. And to be honest, this is more likely to be true than we think. There's research on this phenomenon called the liking gap. And these researchers basically had people interact, strangers interact across a number of settings in the lab, at a community center, during a workshop. And they found that in general, after they asked the strangers who had just interacted, hey, how much do you like this other person? People underestimated the degree to which they were liked across the board. And the more self-critical they were, the more pronounced their liking gap is. And then there's other research where like these research have based researchers have basically asked people to like start a conversation with a random person on a commute. And the researcher found that 100% of people 
were engaged with when they opened up that conversation. And I think like basically the research has convinced me that we are a lot more likely to assume we are going to be rejected if we open up conversation than we actually are. And so I think for people that are really afraid of engaging with other people, like just to remind yourself, like I need to assume that people like me and are going to be open to me. And I think that sort of change in mindset, instead of like, oh my gosh, people are scary and they don't want to talk to me. That sort of change in mindset makes it a lot easier to open ourselves up to initiating with other people. Yes. I love that. Like almost like a self pep talk before you do the scary thing. Um, I've spoken about this on the podcast before, but I did have a long-term friendship that ended. Our life circumstances changed and we just realized like we were putting so much work to try to get back to the way things used to be and it just, it couldn't be anymore. So I wanted to bring this conversation into this episode and ask your opinion on this because I follow a lot of therapists on Instagram and I see them saying things like, let's normalize friendships ending. So every single thing that I was taught growing up was loyalty, like choose friends and family over everything. But I would love if you gave us some insight onto A, what reasons why adult friendships might come to an end and B, how to handle it. Yeah. I mean, I think what you bring up is like a really good point. The idea of like, hey, when we get into different life stages, it's harder to stay connected. And I think part of that reason is because as we delve into these different life stages, um, we might not feel like we can be our true selves around each other. And that is what's what I think is really important for friendship, feeling like you can be who you are in the context of friendship. And so as our lives, I guess, continue to careen into different directions, we might feel like, oh my gosh, there's this whole side of me that I don't feel comfortable around expressing around this person who I'm supposed to be close to. And so I think that like that authenticity piece, that being bringing my full self to the relationship and not feeling as comfortable doing that, or even just reflecting after you hang out and feeling like, oh my gosh, I didn't really feel like myself during that interaction, um, can be a reason why people decide to end friendships. Again, I think if we can approach this idea, like there's this word, I think it's called like commemorative grief. And it's, I, I might be using the wrong term here, but the idea is basically that like, we can end something and still acknowledge that it was beautiful and still acknowledge that it has done a lot for us and still acknowledge that has like contributed to our lives in so many ways. And so I think, you know, that's really related to what you're saying about like, sometimes your friendships might end because you have really evolved into different types of people, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't beautiful all along the way and it hasn't given you so much. And so I guess it's kind of like the idea of conscious uncoupling, but applied to friendship. Um, but yeah, I think that's outside of that. Like we've just grown into different life stages. There's other reasons why people maybe should end a friendship or might feel tempted to end a friendship. I think part of it is like the reciprocity piece. If it feels like a friendship is one-sided and I think that's totally fair. Like, I think we all are entitled or to deserve friendships that feel like other people are investing just like we are investing. And so I think if you're feeling like, yeah, this is just one-sided for too long and maybe you've had that conversation and things haven't changed and this is something that you feel like you really need, like it's totally valid to end relationships because they don't feel reciprocal. And I think the last, like, I will say like flag that I um, can think of for ending friendships is when it feels like your friend isn't rooting for your success. Like, it actually feels like they're trying to sort of um, 
tear you down. I think that's like one of the underlying sacred rules of friendship. Like we wish we want the best for each other. We want to see each other succeed. Like, I think that's part of love actually. And, and, you know, it, it makes me think about this theory. It's called inclusion of others in the self. And it's basically the idea that as we get close to people, we start to feel like they are part of ourselves of that basically when other people our friends succeed it almost feels like we're succeeding because we have that inclusion of others in ourselves. i mean obviously you see this with family and romantic relationships too but sometimes that that process doesn't work out where we don't have that inclusion of another person in ourselves, and then it feels like their achievements are maybe threatening to us or harmful to us and we don't actually want them to succeed and that i think is is maybe res- reflective of an issue going on in the friendship and so i think that may be another reason why people might be wanting to end friendships as well. Wow, Marissa, I could talk to you all day. (laughs) This is like so interesting. I just wanted to make a note for people that might be going through the ending of a friendship. Like there was a lot of grief there, you know, things that I had to work through. But now I truly got to the place where exactly like you said, I feel so fortunate and lucky for the years that we had together. And I truly wish her the best, you know, on the other side of it too. Like I want the best for her. And so I think if you're in the muck right now, um, you can definitely get to the other side eventually. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point in that, like, you know, we talk so much about breakups romantic relationship breakups, but we don't talk about friendship breakups. And it it often doesn't feel like valid to be in great pain over your friendship breakup. But I just wanted to normalize that like, hey, this is a really close relationship you've had, which has fallen apart. And it's, it's normal to like have very strong feelings and very strong grief about that as well. Well, I think about that so much with my friendships back in like middle school and high school that abruptly ended because of that competitive feeling and how painful those were. And how much more that would mean as a mother or as a wife or as as an adult, because the issues are just so much more um, heartfelt at this point. So that would be really painful. I know that the pandemic will end eventually. It's going to get better, but it also has impacted our friendships. And right now, I know personally, my circle of people that I see, it's smaller than ever. And I find myself yearning for that in-person connection. I'm that person at the grocery store who's talking to the people <laughs> around me because it's the only time I'm really seeing other people. So given all your research and friendships, do you think that there's going to be long-term implications on friendships specifically? Yeah. So this is a great question. Different types of friendships that we have. Some friendships we have just for companionship, which is the idea that like, I have this friend so we can do things together. We go to the movies together. We go to the club together. We go, you know, X, Y, and Z to the museum together. When I need a buddy to go out with, you are there. But maybe we haven't built up like the sort of emotional intimacy of the friendship. And I think for those friendships that were built off of companionship and doing activities together, I think those are the friendships that are most threatened by these times, because obviously we don't have those opportunities to just be doing things together. And so I think that it it certainly could have like a a long-term impact on like companionate friendships. I also wanted to point out that um, loneliness does a lot of things to our psychology. Loneliness really manipulates our perception of the world. And when we are lonely, we often perceive people as a lot more threatening. We perceive them as more likely to reject us and to harm us. 
And that's just because like evolutionarily, right? If you were alone and separate from your tribe, that might be true, right? You're alone in a savanna, someone could hurt you. But now obviously that's not, it's, we're not in the same context, but our psychology is the same. So I think we might see a lot of people actually withdrawing. When we're lonely, we feel the need to connect with people, but we also feel the need to withdraw because people start to feel really threatening. And so I think for some people, they may actually notice themselves withdrawing from their friendships and maybe not putting in the same time to keep up with and interact with their friendships or try to maintain their friendships. And so I think that can also be hard, um, that it's just a rough period for people to maintain their friendships and to maintain their relationships because of like the ways that this pandemic is affecting us. I mean, I think I hope that like we can try to give each other grace at this time. I think we don't even fathom the ways that this pandemic is altering how we are relating to people. I think we might like even assume that like, oh, this is just like a part of how the friendship always was coming to the forefront. But no, like this is a very unique circumstance. It's, it's really like tough. It's really tough on all of us. It's really tough on our relationships. And so I guess my hope is that um, we can give each other a little bit of grace for when this is all over um, for reconnecting with people. But I will also say that I think this actually has on the other hand, been a sacred time of reconnection for people. You have people that are like, I've talked to my varsity football team for the first time, 20 years since I've graduated. And so I think it also has certain certain benefits for our relationships too, just because it's really, I think about that busyness piece where some people may be more busy during this pandemic, but other people may be less busy because they're not commuting. And within that, that extra time that they might have, they might be able to use it to reconnect with people. So it's a bit of a mixed bag, but it's also very weird and not typical. Yeah, yeah. We're like, we haven't been through this before. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, I was all over your blog in preparation for this interview, and I read your article, Instead of Giving Advice, Do This. Abby and I have talked about this on the podcast about our own growth in this area. Like when we were younger, it seems like you think that you always have to have the answer for your friend or insight. And sometimes when you grow, you realize like this person just might want to be heard and I might not have the answer for her. I would love if you went into that post a little bit. I know you also talked about how it's important for your friend to actually feel like they have autonomy in their life. And so like you helping them feel that way is important. I would love more insight on that. Yeah, so that the autonomy piece is, I think, really, it it gets at this theory called self-determination theory. And self-determination theory, it's basically the idea that we have three fundamental human needs, the need to belong, the need for autonomy, which is to be in control of our own lives and making our own decisions, and competence, the feeling that we are accomplished or have something that we've done that we can be proud of. So I think when we give advice... We challenge that need for autonomy in other people, which is why even if we're well-meaning, our advice may not come off to the other person as as well-meaning as we hope it does because we're threatening the other person's sense of autonomy. And I guess it could convey to someone like, hey, I don't necessarily think you can figure this out for yourself. So I'm going to give you this advice. And I think also like recognizing that our advice can be a projection, right? Because This made sense for me, but you are a different person in different circumstances. And there's no advice that applies across every single circumstance. 
So just recognizing that that might be happening too. And so I think instead of giving advice, if, if I give advice, I like to like ask like, hey, are you looking for advice or not? <laughs> um, before I just share my advice. But um, I think it can often be a lot more powerful just to sort of sit with someone in their feelings and ask questions like, how are you feeling like this? How are you feeling about this? What's this bringing up for you? What have you done in situations in the past that have been like this, that has been helpful for you? What sort of values are coming up as you address this problem? And just like helping our friends explore their issue a little bit more. And I think that really conveys that like, hey, I'm right here with you. I'm not like above you, but I'm right here with you in all of this. Well, and Amy brought this up in one of our um, Patreon episodes. We had a bonus episode where you go into the conversation of, do you want advice or do you want to be heard? Just so you know, you can be the best support system for that person when they're there. So I love how you said that. We could honestly ask you so many more questions. This has been so interesting and really a needed conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We had a lot of listeners ask the same question. Why don't adults try harder in friendships? It seems like many people are just not open to making new friends. So what's your insight there? Huh. I would say I don't completely agree with the premise of the assumption. I think um, we often assume that because people aren't reaching out or initiating with us, they're uninterested. But I don't think that's the case. I think if we were to initiate with them, they might be a lot more interested. In fact, research finds that the average person hasn't made a new friend in the last five years, but half of people say they want to be making friends. They just don't know how. And so sometimes like it could feel like someone else rejecting us is actually like their social anxiety, their awkwardness. They're really, really busy, but would otherwise love to hang out. I, I mean, I think often when like new friendships don't work out, it can be a problem of like what I like to call misattunement, which is like we're just, we have different needs in this moment. Not that we are fundamentally incompatible or deeply rejecting each other as people. But I think the truth is that it is hard still to make friends as an adult because I think we often rely on a template we have from childhood. And in childhood, we had the ingredients for friends to happen organically, which are continuous unplanned interaction and shared vulnerability. We had that in school. But now as adults, we don't really have that. I mean, some people may be lucky enough to have that in their workplace, but a lot of workplaces, there's not a lot of vulnerability. And so without that, without those ingredients for friendships to just kind of happen organically, we need to be really intentional about making friends. Like we need to initiate, we need to reach out. We need to say like, hey, neighbor, like I would love to like go on a socially distanced walk with you or, hey, we haven't talked in a, in a while and I've just been wondering about how you're doing. Just wanted to check in instead of just like waiting for people to come to us and just like sitting, waiting, hoping. I mean, I, I say this as someone who when I was in college, I was like, I really want to make friends. But my strategy was simply to be cool and interesting enough so that people would try to be my friend, <laughs> which is just like. Not the best strategy, right? Because still someone has to initiate there. It just I just put all of the onus on the other person. You're just putting the vibe out. (laughs) Yeah, just putting the vibe out or putting the energy out and hopefully someone picks up on it. But like I think now as as I've read so deeply into the research and um, you know, have have been writing this book on friendship, I just see the importance of taking a lot of initiative and even recognizing how like that could really change your life. Like one experience of initiating with another person could really change the future of your friendships if you're willing to do that. And so um, 
But yeah, I just wanted to speak to one last point of that. And that is really the idea that like, yes, some people are busy and they may not be open to friendship because they have a lot of things going on in your life. And so then I think that we should be really strategic about making friends with what's called transitioners, people that are moving to a new place, for example, um, expats in a new country, um, you know, maybe new moms that want to make friends with other new moms, like people that are undergoing a similar process of transition to us are more likely to be open to us as friends. So if you, you know, move to a new city and you can, I don't know, join a a welcome to this new city Facebook group and then, you know, put a call out and see if anyone's open to it. I think that can be a really good way to find people that are just at the same place in their lives as you where they're open to friendship. Well, Marissa, it was truly an honor to have you on herself. And I would love it if you told our listeners where they could find more of you and your work. Sure. Yeah. So they can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Dr. Marissa G. Franco. That's D-R-M-A-R-I-S-A-G-F-R-A-N-C-O. That's also my website, drmarissagfranco.com, where you can sign up for my awesome newsletter on friendship and connection. It just comes out once a month. I talk about all the research that has been fascinating me. And if you sign up for that newsletter, I also send you a free survey to assess some of your friendship strengths and weaknesses and give you some advice if you want to continue to work on them. But thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. You know how much I love talking about friendship. This is my passion. (laughs) And I appreciate, you know, anywhere that's just creating spaces to have these conversations on a relationship that feels so central to a lot of our lives. Well, thank you. And we'll make sure to include all of those in the notes section, as well as some of your bonus content over on Patreon. So thank you again. This is a topic that we need right now so much. It is a conversation that we've wanted to have on for a while at the expert level. So if you love this episode, please make sure to share in your stories and take both of our accounts. Thanks again, Dr. Marissa. Bye y'all.